Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. Just about four weeks to go now before the New Hampshire primary and campaigns are girding for the home stretch. The last week ended on a high note for Tom Steyer, who made a last minute qualification for the upcoming debate in Iowa. Mr. Steyer joins us in studio this morning. Thanks for being here. Adam, nice to see you. Before we get into the politics, uh, some very serious developments overseas in international affairs here. And this breaking through in a big way as it often does in presidential contests. First, take us through, uh, if you're in the Oval Office, which world leaders you're reaching out to and what you're doing to try to not only de-escalate with Iran, but contain their influence in the Middle East? Well, I think that what President Obama did with regard to Iran is to reach out to and act in coordination with our traditional allies. So of course I'm talking to people in the region, but I'm also talking to, our, to European leaders. I'm talking to the leaders of China. We'd certainly consult, it, we'd certainly be in contact with Russia. The basic point is in dealing with Iran, the United States should be dealing as a leader on the, wor on the world uh, stage, but in conjunction with our allies, in coordination, in the way that President Obama did in negotiating the treaty to put an end to Iran's nuclear ambitions. It's got to be done in conjunction with our allies because that's actually how we have the most influence over time. And what you can see in Mr. Trump's behavior is that no one has stood with us. No one has stepped up to explain that we've done the right thing. In fact, you know, it, the dog is not barking. In the old Sherlock Holmes story, the clue was the dog didn't bark. There's, the dog is not barking. No one is standing with the United States of America. President Trump is saying the Democrats are mourning the death of General Soleimani. Did he not deserve what he got? Oh, I don't think there's any question here, Adam, about whether General Soleimani was someone who was an enemy of the United States, who had taken actions that were, that we condemn and that hurt Americans. I think the question here is in taking the action to have him executed, did the President of the United States act in the interest of the American people? Was it part of a strategy to make Americans safe? And we look back over the last week or so, do we think Americans are safer around the world or less safe? That's really the question. It's not a question we all understand that this is someone who is an active, hostile enemy of America. The question is, as strategically, was this a smart thing to do? And I think you can see clearly it wasn't. One of the most immediate developments is that Iraq seems to be asking our troops to get out pretty much. Is that positive or a negative in the long term? That they're asking us to get out or right. that we get out? Well, I, I think there, we, we know where you stand on that, but it should at least, if we, leave, if we lose even that small force capability within Iraq, is that a negative? Look, I think what you can see in terms of how Iraq has responded, but how all the other countries have responded in the region, is they're saying that America doesn't have any credibility in the region as an honest actor and a fair broker. And that has got to be bad for the United States of America. The idea that across the world, 
in particularly in the Middle East, but across the world, people are condemning what happened, changes our relationship as somebody who should be a value-driven leader, standing up for freedom and justice and democracy across the world. That's not what, how people see us now. And President Trump has reduced our status in the world, has reduced our power in the world, and he has made Americans less safe across the, across the globe. We know Iran likes to play the long game. What if they retaliate uh, January of next year? Let's say you're president. What do you do? Look, the number one job of the President of the United States is to protect the safety and lives of the American people. Full stop. So we, that will always be the paramount interest. But long term, the question is, what is your strategy to accomplish that, Adam? And you know, what, what we've seen with this president is there is no long-term strategy. There is no build-up, no, no coordination with our allies. We don't have a value-driven strategy. We just are reactive, emotional. We don't even have a process for making decisions. So the answer is, you're asking me a question as if that came in a vacuum. That we're reacting to something that happened as opposed to controlling the action and pushing forward strategically to make the world safer for Americans, to give us a chance to be more prosperous and successful, and to stand up for America as what we are, which is the leader of the free world, the leader of the world in terms of justice and equality and democracy. And so that's a long game that we have to live every single day, but which makes Americans safer, grows our prestige in the world, and makes the world in general more prosperous. Of the remaining candidates, you're arguably the most vocal on the issue of climate change. What would you do? And certainly, if this is going to be something that the United States addresses on a policy basis, it can't be flip-flopping back and forth between administrations. So it seems like if you want to address climate change, one of the first things you have to do is institute a policy that will last. How do you do that? Get a climate policy in place that doesn't get erased after eight years. Well, Adam, the, the difference between me and everybody else who's running for president is I've said that climate's my number one priority. And that means there's a whole bunch of things that fall out of that. I mean, one thing is if it's not your number, number one priority, it's probably not going to get done. What I've said is I would address climate change from the standpoint of environmental justice, to make sure that we have leadership from the communities where it's unsafe to breathe without getting asthma or drink the water that comes out of the tap. And those tend to be black and brown communities around the United States. So that's one. Two, I've said we have to do this. We can do this. I've been working on this for 12 years, taking on and beating oil companies when it comes to clean energy, passing propositions around the country for clean energy, and working with other activists to stop the Keystone Pipeline to stop a power plant in California, in Oxnard, specifically working on this for 12 years. I know that we can do it. I also know that we can do it in a way that creates millions of good paying union jobs across this country. We have to rebuild this country in a sustainable, accelerated fashion. It's the biggest work program ever. But you're asking about how do we do it across the globe? It's global climate change. And you are asking what is America's relationship to the rest of the world. If we take, if we're isolated, if we have a combative, confrontational, bilateral relationship with every country in the world, no allies, no values, no coalition, this can't get done. Only American leadership can get this done. We have to prioritize it in terms of our relationships with other countries. And let me say this, it's the biggest challenge in history. We can do it, and we can do it in a way that makes us better paid, healthier, more just, and gets back to the idea that I was talking about earlier. America is an idea. We're the people who lead the world in freedom, justice, equality, and prosperity. That's who we are. 
climate change is the biggest challenge, we can reestablish ourselves that we actually stand for things and we can succeed together in the biggest challenge ever. You're out with a new immigration plan and part of that is a reform of Immigration and Customs Enforcement or ICE, essentially changing the corporate culture, if you will, of that, uh, of that organization. But what if you have employees there uh, who don't fit the culture you want to institute but haven't committed any violations? Uh, these are unionized federal employees. If they have certain political beliefs or certain views about immigration, how do you change what you want to change without violating their rights as workers? The way that you change an institution is you start at the top. You have a very straightforward set of rules of behavior and a culture of what the institution stands for. It starts at the top and everyone has to live up to that. So you're saying nobody's broken the law. Okay. They have a job to do. We're going to define it very specifically, and it's not going to, it's going to include treating people in a just and humane fashion. And so to the people who don't live up to that code, it's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. So if you want to reform an institution, you have to be clear about the rules. You have to be clear about what it stands for. You have to have leadership that lives that culture and that strategy, and you have to enforce it absolutely rigorously so that people understand that we have a completely different way of doing this, that what's been happening is we've had a rogue agency and it can't continue. You've had some very positive polls lately. Uh, they're in states that come after Iowa and New Hampshire. So what's the strategy for you here in the first two states? Do you try to make a splash here or are you looking now more at South Carolina and Nevada as places where you're going to start to knock down some big dominoes? Adam, all four early primary states in order, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina are incredibly important to us. There is no way that we're not serious about Iowa and New Hampshire. And so I'm here right now. I came from Iowa. You know, those are two states that are of absolute critical importance to us. I spend all my time really trying to get in front face to face with as many people in those states so they can get a chance to hear my message about a broken government bought by corporations and my history of fighting and beating those corporations over 10 years and my desire to reform Washington, including term limits of 12 years for Congress people and senators, my attitudes about climate, making climate my number one priority, but in a different way from other people, and the fact that I can beat Trump, that I started a business, I have true business experience and expertise, and I can get us on a stage with him and go toe-to-toe -to -toe and take him down on economics, which is the only thing he has going for him at this point. You've taken a beating from some of your fellow candidates just based on your wealth. And it's not like you're some sort of mustache-twirling robber baron or anything like this. You've spent a lot of money on progressive causes. Isn't it a big problem for Democrats that some people are trying to demonize your financial success? Look. From my standpoint, and you referred to it, Adam, I've spent 10 years putting together coalitions of Americans to take on what I think of as unchecked corporate power. And together we've been winning. And I started the Need to Impeach movement, which was a statement. Eight and a half million people signed that petition to say, this is the most corrupt president in history. Do the right thing. This is a matter of right and wrong. And that called their Congress people and emailed their Congress people and really dragged Congress to look at this as a matter of right and wrong. So, I'm doing the exact same thing here. I'm running because there's a reason for me to run, and that's the message I just gave you. And so, for 10 years, when I've seen something wrong in America, I've gone after it with my heart and soul and my money. And that's exactly what I'm doing here in running for president. There's something that is, has got to change, and I'm working as hard as I can to do it, and it includes spending my money. 
So if that's the worst thing that I ever do, then I can accept that. All right, Tom Steyer, thanks for Adam, joining us on Close Up. Thank you so we much for having time. me. Life's beautiful moments, sunsets, landscapes, wildlife. That's WMUR's You Local Facebook group. Join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you. Or share your own. Get started at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WMUR9. Go to groups and join You Local. See you there. With a traffic jam at the top of the first in the nation primary race right now, it feels like almost anything can happen. To help us make sense of the hustle and bustle this morning is WMUR political reporter John DeStaso. Good morning. John, thanks for being here. So you've covered these contests since the early 1980s. Dark ages, Seen it all. Mm -hmm. Set the scene for us. This has got to be one of the most jumbled, you know, uh, sort of biggest question mark, cloudiest, foggiest. I'll stop using superlatives and yeah. let you talk kind of races we've e seen. Everything you said, I would, I would, I would just say yes. That <laughs> is absolutely the case. Uh, there's never really been any, anything quite like this without a definitive leader. Uh, there are three to four people at the top, uh, if you believe polls. And I, there is so much, there's little time, but yet so much time yet for so many different things to happen, ebb and flow. Uh, gaffes, uh, more developments on the world stage. Uh, where where do we go? Where will we be a, a month from now? Which will be, uh, you know, that would be the day after the primary. But at the same time, you know, what's going to happen in, within the, in a month? Right. And um, of course, the Iowa caucus will come will come first, right. and that will have a major effect on on New Hampshire. Uh, at least in the beginning, if I may just quickly say. Uh, but don't forget that those eight days between Iowa and New Hampshire uh, sometimes can be an eternity because someone can come out of Iowa uh, with a huge boost of momentum. Uh, something can happen, Many anything can happen in those during those eight days that could shift the, the dynamic by the time our voters go, go to the polls. What about the expectations game? Who is talking about winning and who's talking about, hey, I need to make a splash and finish, oh, top five? The only one that I know that has actually said, I am going to win the New Hampshire primary is from Bernie Sanders. He said that as, as far back as, as uh, last summer. Uh, now expectations are beginning to be set. Many candidates will sort of lower expectations uh, for themselves so that they can then spin that they exceeded them. Uh, uh, remember Bill Clinton in 1992. Uh, Amy Klobuchar brought that up last week when she said that uh, she just wants to be a headline. Right, that's the word, uh, that's, yeah. And uh, she could be, depending upon uh, you know where she finishes. Uh, there will be the way I look at it is we could have this sort of the New England contest, who's going to win between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, and who's going to be that non-New uh, non England candidate. Joe Biden, with all everything that's going on in the world stage right now, uh, seems to be benefiting, not that anything's good about what's going on, but from a political standpoint with his experience um, in the White House, could have some benefit uh, for, uh, as someone that people will look at as, uh, you know, being in a position that could handle these foreign policy challenges. Yeah. Well, it's going to be something else to watch. And as you mentioned, from international affairs to the impeachment in Washington, uh, this is going to go down to the wire in the biggest way. And it's, uh, it's an honor to be covering it alongside you. Well, so, same here. Adam. All right. Thank you. So thanks for joining us. And we'll be talking about this plenty in the weeks to come. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.